Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just getting ready for the show today, looked up and I thought to myself, it's Thursday. Just like that. It's it's gone, it's gone fast. It is already Thursday. That's how fast this week has gone. Excited about today's show, excited about lights out. Um, I feel like maybe Michael Orr's estate, not as excited about recent news coming maybe out involving out. him. Yeah, and that's where we start with our headlines of the day here on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. So uh, you mentioned the, the week's moving fast. This story has progressed fast over uh, each of the, the last several days. Uh, Sean and Leanne Tui want to, to end the conservatorship. That according to lawyers uh, that are representing the family. And they're saying they're, they're tired of the drama. They're tired of the headlines. Sure, we'll end the conservatorship if that's exactly what Michael Orr is, is wanting. And this goes further uh, than just that because... Uh, Bobby Barak at Outkick.com did a really nice job going back to 2011 where Orr admits, he, he writes of knowing about the conservatorship as late as or as early as 2011 in a book uh, where he said that they were named his legal conservators at the age of 18. Yeah, this is not adding up well uh, for him. The, the, the timeline of it, you know, saying I just found out about it in February 2023 doesn't look good. There's also various reports now about the money being yep. in line with what the Tui's claimed all along. You can't write in a book that the word conservatorship and that you know about it and then forget about that when you come out and say this in 2023. Now, the only claim I guess Orr could have, which would be a very bad one for him because it'd be admitting something that not many people want to admit, is that he didn't really write his own book and that someone else worked on it and used that word and he didn't know what it meant and he didn't even know it was in there, that's about the only defense right now for that. So Michael Lewis, who wrote The Blind Side, he's the author prior to the movie, he's given the most detail of the finances, what was paid, what wasn't, what he paid, what, the, uh, what Hollywood paid, and gave several great quotes uh, in an interview with The Washington Post. Um, so he details in a movie that earned $310 million dollars that and Tui's lawyer said yesterday that they estimated Orr and his family received $100,000 a piece, and the, the couple, the uh, Sean and Leanne Tui, paid the taxes on Orr's piece of that pie of the player's portion. Um, quote from Lewis Everybody should be mad at the Hollywood studio system. Michael Orr should join the writer strike. It's outrageous how Hollywood accounting works, but the money is not in the Tui's pockets. Lewis said that the studio paid $250,000 for the option to make the book into a movie, and that he split the money evenly with the Tui family. He said the Tui family said that they split their share. And while the movie was in the uh, certainly a box office smash, Lewis said that he and the Tui family received around $350,000 each from the movie's profits. Uh, and I'm reading from Fox News here. Lewis said the Tui family planned to share the money with Orr, but the NFL player declined his royalty checks and that Lewis thought the Tui family had put the checks into a trust for Orr's son. Quote, I feel really sad about 
uh, when I watched this whole thing up close. They, they showered him with resources and love. That he's suspicious of them is breathtaking. The state of mind one has to be in to do that, I feel sad for him. That from Michael Lewis, the author of The Blind Side. Yeah, I, I, I heard and read Lewis's quotes, and I, I immediately thought, that especially the last one you just mentioned there, Hutton, about the state of mind yeah. that he's in. One of two things now, just speculating. You know, it, th- is this a money thing in that not about the withholding of money, but needing money for Michael Lohr, right? I, I mentioned this when this news broke. Is he in some sort of financial trouble? I wouldn't think so based on his career, based on making a little bit of money from this also. I, I don't think that would be the issue, but we have seen stories like that in the past. And the other one is, I mean, we've seen families break apart. Sure. You know, it's not completely uncommon that – someone's typically wrong in it. You know, there's more of a wrong side than the other. And I, I, everything I'm hearing right now from the Tui family, this is like volley and uh, serving volley is what we're having now through the media. This is something first off that should never get out in the media, but it's in the media because Michael Orr filed a petition and is suing the Tui's. So the Tui's had to respond publicly also. So now we've got this serving volley back and forth with something that should be handled internally but then I ask, why is it not being handled internally? Why did they break off communication years ago, apparently? Why is there no relationship? It certainly sounds like, through all the context clues out there, this was a Michael Orr decision to distance himself from the Tuies, from the blindside story, which we knew this, Hutton, and we've talked to other reporters he did not want to answer questions about throughout his NFL career, did not want to talk about the movie. Something's happened here, and I don't know if it was one big event, or just a misperception from Michael Orr of how he was being perceived by people because the movie that ended up tearing this thing apart. What, what this ultimately comes down to is he doesn't want the conservatorship in place. You know, he's asking for the injunction there because he doesn't want the finances uh, of anything now or then to be controlled by the Tuies. And going through more of what Michael Lewis had to say um, and the details of the story, so... The, the conservatorship paperwork filed in 2004, just about two or three months, I believe, after he turned 18. Uh, we know that was, at least from the Tui's angle here, that was to clear up issues about being enrolled at Ole Miss, uh, getting through the NCAA issues that were involved in that in enrollment and playing at Ole Miss, and or accused the family of never taking legal action to assume custody of him, and that would be through the Tennessee Department of Human Services. And that was before he turned 18. Months after he turned 18, he signs this document where he said he was falsely advised that it would be called a conservatorship, but it was the intent of an adoption. That's through the foxnews.com story that has the quotes from Michael Lewis. So then it leads to this, and here we are with the allegations that he's asking for $15 million, and he's not going to go public with this. He's not going to file uh, this, uh, this claim in court. And the back and forth continues where ultimately the Tuies are like, hey, we're, we're just going to sign off and agree to end the conservatorship. Yeah. Which, While he's on a book tour. Which, I mean, that was easy. You know, again, like, why didn't you just send them, instead of texting them, allegedly trying to shake them down for money, if this was the, really what it was about? But the issue, like, the, the, wasn't that pretty easy of the Tuies to say, yeah, you can, we'll, I we'll keep going disavow to, the conservatorship? And, and Michael Lewis is also confirming what the Tuies have said here. And there's a lot of different numbers thrown around, but it's not like the 15 million that has been alleged from 
the the lawyer for the family saying that that was what Orr had asked for in order to stay quiet. But the other percentage point that we referenced earlier this week was two and a half percent of the net proceeds of a three hundred million dollar film, and that has yet to be, you know, confirmed, denied anything based on. I mean, that would also pretty pretty easy to to look at and say, okay, this is true or this is false based on records. So with the text messages that or allegedly sent a couple Ma- of years Michael ago. Lewis also confirmed what a lot of people knew was the conservatorship was made and put into place after he was 18 so he could go to Ole Miss. Yeah. Because the NCAA was breathing down their neck and it, they were seeing it as a booster housing a prospect illegally until they formed the conservatorship. So it was much about football and eligibility as anything else. And, and that, was, that was for enrollment. You're right. That was for insurance, driver's license, all of it. And then it goes on to say that the petition was granted even though he was already 18 and even though he had no diagnosis of physical or psychological disabilities. So they got that through in order for him to end up playing for the Ole Miss Rebels. He ends up being yeah, a first-round pick. I do wonder when we're going to hear from Orr's side again, if at all. If you remember, the attorneys for the Tui family said that he attempted uh, and tried a lot of different lawyers mm-hmm. before he found this lawyer to actually take his case. And um, I, I'm seeing some of the timeline stuff and what Michael Lohr's gotten wrong. And I hate to say it, but it, this, isn't, this wasn't done in a very smart way. Based on all the information coming out now, that would be easy to prove. And the fact that Tui's are just saying, yeah, we'll end the conservatorship. No problem. And this the, story, a while the story at OutKick, I mean, blows the whole thing out of the water about to learn this in, tw- in February of this year. You know, that, that's, that's the other big piece in detail that has been referenced well, a lot. Well, Michael Orr's chief complaint about the movie, one of them he's talked about was he had to fight the stigma that he was slow or that he wasn't smart his whole life because the way the movie depicted him. Mm-hmm. The way he's handling this does not make him look the brightest either. But that, the, That's unfortunate about But the about details of that claim are, I mean, it's not just surface level money that we're talking about here, though, you know? The, the other things involved and, you know, the, the whole tricked him into signing that, that is the, really the detail that it comes down to for me. And how he felt duped at 18 and now at 37 saying he's just learned about the true intent, according to him, of why he was asked to sign that. But the true intent was also involved in getting him to where he Look, is. Look, I would, I, I, would, I would buy this line of thinking if Michael Orr would be the one to say, yeah, the moment I got done playing at Ole Miss, they didn't contact me. They weren't in my life at all. They never tried to reach out. This was all about football. I feel used. Okay, that's believable. But that didn't happen. Based on all accounts, it was Orr who broke off communication with the Tuies. So Nearly a decade ago. Again, like if it was, man, I really feel used because they didn't care anything about me and they just lived off the proceeds from – the movie and the fame from the movie and everything else. Okay, I'm willing to hear that out, but it looks like it was you who didn't want to have anything to do with them, not the other way around. So who used whom here? You were the one that got the resources. Both benefited, for sure. Both benefited, but I mean, you see what I'm saying? Like, he's the one who broke it off. Yes, and, and he's, so, and he's uh, allegedly that, the one who's been that's contradictory asking to the for claim money for that, years. The claim that I was used, unless they can prove a, a money trail. Right. You would have been used if it was, all right, you're done playing for my alma mater. See ya. Well, but, but I mean, they were around him and in contact with him for years after. 
So by ending the conservatorship, does this just go away? Does the, they're agreeing to do this after the lawsuit was filed on Monday. Does it just go away or does it continue based on the claims that there's more money behind the scenes than what's being portrayed in the public? That's the next step to this. If they can easily prove what everyone is claiming now in the reports. One side or the other should be able to do it. About the 86000 or whatever the exact number is that was divvied up between the five of them. Mm-hmm. Case closed. And they're ending the conservatorship. And now, unless they started a line of children's books with Michael Orr's image on it and made a bunch of money off of it that I don't know about. I mean, have they done other ventures other than the movie in Orr's name and made money? Now, that's, that's a claim the, that the Orr only, could make. The only thing that has been alleged is residuals, right? That, that's what, yes, yeah. And but that's the two and a half percent. It's also a broad in the, in the, uh, I agree. the complaint. There's a broad, like, they've, they've made money off my name, image, and likeness for years. And they're saying they're going to ask for financial documents of that. Now, again... Does it go away now, the conservatorship? They're saying they, they'll end it. They'll sign documents that waive that now. Um, Look, it's a yeah. compelling This is more dramatic, than about 100 grand. It's a compelling drama that's taking place here between the two families. And it's made more so because we're all familiar with the story. Because anyone, most people in general, I feel like are familiar with the movie and the story. But everyone who's a sports fan is familiar with the story in the movie. Yeah, the story, the movie, Sandra Bullock wins an Academy Award, Best Actress. Uh, actress. You've got uh, uh, Tim McGraw in the film as well. And Quentin Aaron, who played Michael Orr in The Blind Side, had this to say about uh, the request that Sandra Bullock turn back in her Academy Award-winning performance Oscar. Uh, I love this. <laughs> based on this story. I wish they'd just leave her alone because, you know, she's going through her own things right now, you know, with the love she just lost. My, my thoughts and prayers go out to her as well, you know, in her time. And the last thing she needs is for the internet trolls to be coming at her, talking about something. We should take her Oscar. Like, just go sit down. Go get a job. Stop. Leave her alone. Like, I'm, a, I'm a teddy bear. I like to think of myself as a teddy bear. But if you mess with the people I love, I will become a grizzly bear. I'm just saying. I love that. That's great. I'm a teddy bear, well said, but if you mess with the ones I love, I'll become a grizzly bear. Uh, that's one of the best things I've ever said. I also love how he ends up with, get a job to the internet trolls that want and Sandy she Bullock's did her job. Oscar. She portrayed Leanne Tooie. I don't understand how people don't uh, understand this. <laughs> like the whole, well, no, the whole concept people, you're, you're, of... That's a broad stroke. This is, <laughs> this is a very like small you're, group. You know, you're being paid to portray someone. Yeah. Right? Like... <laughs> I don't, I don't understand how people don't understand that, that there is a disconnect there. It is a script she is reading that she is reading someone else's words written for her. She didn't write the book. Michael Lewis did. She didn't write the screenplay. I don't know who wrote it, but she didn't write any of that. She is an actress paid to memorize words, <laughs> recite them in a way that is entertaining and compelling to an audience that will watch the movie and did it better, or anything Chad, she's in. Than Natalie Portman in Black Swan that year. Debatable, but, but she won the award. The Academy uh, thought that she was better than Natalie Portman in Black Swan, so <laughs> good for her. But it's not her responsibility if Leanne Tui does something crazy after the movie or before. <laughs> that's not Sandra Bullock doing it. I feel odd even having to try to explain this to people. You realize those are two different people. She's just playing a character that happened to exist. So if she perpetuated some myth that you believe exists, <laughs> then she deserved the Academy Award even more because she did such a great job portraying it in a way that it convinced you that it was all true. It's crazy. People are stupid. Dumb. They just want the reaction. They want people to pay for nothing that they had 
had to do with anything. Get a job, as uh, the guy who played Michael Lohr said. I, right. I, I echo his sentiment. Coming up, Trey Wallace. His job is to cover college football for Outkick.com. We'll chat across the college football landscape with Trey. That's next on Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Chad, we are close to the kickoff of the college football season. Welcome back. So close. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network, live from 6th the Peabody with E-Hop Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Nine days away from week zero, Hutton. Nine days away. USC plays, I think, San Jose State. That's Saturday night of uh, week zero. Uh, Current member of the Pac-12, maybe a future member of the Pac-12. Fanny gets to play in that construction zone against Hawaii that Saturday night. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. And Georgia gets to visit. Reserve your dirt pile today at uh, (laughs) GoDoors.com. A lot of construction at both end zones right now. They're going to be playing through. Trey Wallace joins us. He's excited for the start of the 2023 college season. Trey, hope you're doing well, man. I'm good. Chad just got me with that construction <laughs> zone right when right when we got rolling. So uh, no, man, I'm good, dude. We are. Uh, this is the last weekend without college football, and uh, I mean, I mean, some interesting games in in week zero: Hawaii, Vanderbilt, USC, San Jose State, then um, Navy. Notre Dame, and then uh, we get the Spanish broadcast of Fresno State. So I'm looking forward to it. should be fun. I want to get your take on Alabama, because when the AP Top 25 poll came out, they're number four. And I just pointed out, like, man, there is a lot of confidence in the new quarterbacks rolling in. And I just, I don't buy it right now uh, based on the strength of LSU and what Jaden Daniels can do uh, now with, what we're seeing with Brian Kelly and how good they were last year, a year ahead of where we thought they'd be, quite honestly. And then, of course, Bama's compared to Georgia. Bama's going to be good. But Saban, as Chad pointed out when I brought this up earlier in the week, Trey, he's very relaxed, very calm, cool, and collected, doesn't seem very stressed. So which side do you lean in terms of Alabama's number four in the country to kick off the college football season? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, you hit it, and and you talk about the SEC West quarterbacks as well. I mean, you got KJ Jefferson at Arkansas, you got Will Rogers at Mississippi State, Connor Wagner at Texas A&M. I could go on. Yeah, uh, I, I I look at the the Alabama quarterback situation, and and okay, I, I think that you know MTSU game is is I don't want to say a tryout. I, I think Nick Saban is going to know who he's going to want at quarterback. But I do think there's an opportunity for Ty Simpson to play in that game with Jalen Milrow. Um, I, I felt from the start of fall camp that Jalen Milrow would probably be the guy. Um, but I look at it right now, and you know, Nick Saban, he yes, he does act like he's he's comfortable, and maybe he is uh, in, in these press conferences. And and but that's Nick Saban too. But in talking with some folks in behind the scenes at Alabama. The way that they have, you know, Tommy Reese coming in as the offensive coordinator, yeah. you know, trying to install different things, the same type of offense that they've been running, but Tommy Reese is bringing a little bit of flair when it comes to that running game, when it comes to pounding the football. I think, you know, in my personal opinion, what fits right now is Jalen Milrow with his ability to get outside the pocket. Um, he can sling the football. We've seen that. Um, and, and it's hard. Last year, you know, was was difficult for him to to hop into certain circumstances and be that guy. And that's part but of my I, problem, too, is the, is the snapshot. Right. Yeah, yeah, you you we we didn't get a full picture of what Jalen Milrow is. So you're you're we have to wonder, OK, what does Ty Simpson look like? And then what does Jalen Milrow look like? And we can't forget about Tyler Buckner, though. I thought I thought he was brought in just for a, a veteran presence in that locker room. And I think as we sit here right now, you know, we're a, what week and a half away pretty much from, from Alabama having to figure out and name that starting quarterback. And, hell, they could do it this afternoon or tomorrow. I, I don't know. But I think overall, you look at the rest of the SEC as a whole right now, and I feel I feel more comfortable – at quarterback spots at other football teams than I do about Alabama. And that hasn't happened in a long time. I think, you know, I was going back and I was looking at it and it, and I feel like Jacob Coker might've been the last quarterback where you really went into the season. Like, okay, is this the guy that's going to do it? You know, Coker transferred from Florida state. So I, I look at this situation. I, I look, Saban's going to figure it out one way or the other. And if that means Jalen Milrow comes out against MTSU and throws two interceptions and is not comfortable running that offense, and then they have to go with Ty Simpson, uh, then then potentially that's the case. But I, I imagine, you know, Nick Saban would love to be in a better spot right now, in, in my opinion, from a stable quarterback situation that he's in because he's looking around the country He's looking at other teams in the SEC West, and and they're already set at the position. So, you know, I just think you're going to hear a lot of Sabinism over over the next week and a half as we get closer to that first game. But they better get ready. Longhorns are coming to town in that second week, and they've got their guy. Yeah, and and, and I'll, I'll my final take, and then I'll turn it over to Chad. Is look, uh, part it, it, it they're stacked everywhere else. I get it, but the the, the he seems at peace with the position. Part of his whole like demeanor has to be about quarterback and how comfortable he is because they didn't address it. They did in the portal, but they didn't in the portal. They could have really brought someone else in and chose not to, meaning they're cool with what they have. And 
what was the lead by Tennessee over Alabama at one point on that Saturday in October? I think they were up 17 maybe at one point. Yeah, and Bryce Young was the reason why they didn't get blown out in that game. And it, it, there have been other instances where the quarterback has certainly kept them in it when they haven't been at their best. And I'm more concerned about that than I guess where they're ranked number four, where even at their best, they were losing games last year. That's that's only where – and number four may be granted. It's the lowest they've been in a preseason poll in years. But, Chad, it, it's – to me, it's just stood out because of the way we saw Bama in the season and the lumps and, and, and the, the losses that they have, albeit by final possessions. Well, it's 2009. It was 2009 the last time, you know, they've been ranked outside the top three. And I think the biggest thing that maybe makes Nick Saban comfortable on this, guys, is that he has got a strong running game. Like knowing that you could turn around, hand the ball off, and go, I think that's got to help with him staying calm. But yeah, guys, on the inside in those staff meetings, I'm sure he was tripping out over the summer on what they were going to do with this position. I mean, that was year three of Nick Saban in 2009. Uh, 14 <laughs> years ago was the last. That's a great stack. Last time they were outside the top three in a preseason bowl is nuts. It is. Um, two teams in the top five right now, or close to it Florida State and LSU meeting in, in week one. I'm going to make a bold proclamation right now, Trey. If Florida State beats LSU, they are in the college football playoff because all they have left on their schedule is Clemson. Granted, that game is at Clemson. I think if they split those two games, LSU and Clemson, they will win the rest and be in the playoff as a one-loss team. I say that for this point. What a launch pad moment for both LSU and Florida State, whoever wins that game in Orlando in week one for the rest of their season to get a top five win right out of the gates. You know, it's, it's the, you know they're not losing to Miami, uh, and, and they're not losing to Florida. Yeah, they play at Florida, so, and they get Miami at home. And outside of that, I mean, at Pittsburgh, at Wake Forest, uh, there's not a lot of big uh, tripwires on the schedule for Florida State. No, and the biggest thing that stands out to me is how far Mike Norvell's got this program, um, especially with quarterback Jordan Travis. And and you guys remember that game against Jacksonville State, or Jacksonville State won that football game, and you're yeah. like, well, wait a minute. Look at the Florida State football program and where they're at. Now, now look where they went from that point to where they are now. I, th I think that game in Orlando, it's massive. And, and look, we, can, we say that a lot about a lot of these non-conference games or even in-conference games, but, man, a starting point to the season. Look at look at how last year went, you know, with this game right here. You know, yeah, LSU lost the crazy way that they did. They had a rough five weeks, and then they turn it around, you know, towards the middle of the season. I look at it overall going forward and, and how this thing is going to play out when it comes to both teams, and I, I just feel like right now Florida State is in that spot where you – you look at it overall from a position standpoint of what Mike Norvell has. I, I just, that first game is going to be so big for both teams. And I feel like the launching pad for Florida state is going to come if, if, when they beat LSU. I, I think they beat LSU. I like, I like Jaden Daniels. I like what LSU has, but something in me just says Mike Norvell has got this program turned around and, and they'll start that thing off for the win over the Tigers. Trey, I know you wrote at outkick.com about my college football as the NFL plan of, of 32 teams. Uh, people are pissed off about this, and, and I understand it. It's something that's going to cause a lot of debate on it. The, the two biggest uh, complaints, though, that I've gotten, one, no one believes Syracuse should be on, on that list. 
which understandable, very debatable. I, I get it. The other one is college football fans, Trey, still care about geography. Isn't that a novel concept that regional rivalries and playing games close to where you are actually matters to fans? It doesn't matter to conferences. Yeah. Because I, of money. Well, we are seeing a change in, in what we have in college football, Chad, when it comes to how television networks are going after, you know, th- these, te- these, these contracts and the money situation and, and where we're at right now with where we're at in college football. And I'm talking about look at the new contracts that are going to happen over the next couple of years. That's what stands out to me the most is how this is going to, when it comes to, let's say, the next Big Ten contract or the next SEC contract that comes up. Think about how big that's going to be from a national standpoint and a money standpoint for each of these schools. We don't know what the ACC is going to look like in three years or four years or what this things are like after the grant of rights. And, and Chad, the way we're headed right now in college football, it just feels like we're going towards those mega conferences that turn into, you know, division pods and whatnot. Okay, we'll see. But I do feel like we're heading towards a mega conference situation where you're going to have to figure out, is it going to be the Southeastern Conference with the ACC and the Big Ten with others, or how they end up spacing that out. So that's why I feel like right now, like you know, you your 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 teams and the way that you put in there, it's not far off the mark of what I think college football is going to look like. And and I think it has to lot a lot of it has to do, and you know this is with television money, man. It's you know ten billion dollars. Think about that, ten billion dollars for two conferences in college football with their television contracts. That is mind-blowing to me to think about that money and, and the return on investment they're going to need over the next number of years. I'm, I'm very interested to see that return on investment. So, you know, you're not far off on this thing. And, and I think that, you know, once we get to, let's just say, 2031, 2032, I am so curious to see how conference commissioners, first off, I want to see if we have a college football czar per se, and if that's Greg Sankey or whoever that might be down the road. But things are going to definitely change, and and, and it's not going to stay where we're at right now. And I think that just needs to be the – I think fans need to understand that these regional situations are probably going away, not in the next eight or nine years, but I think, you know, 15 years from now, college football is going to look completely different. Trey, exactly one minute here. I know you've got a piece coming on Swamp Kings, uh, yeah. Untold with Netflix. Tell us about uh, what we should expect there. And um, I, I know you've had the chance to see a behind-the-scenes preview of this. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm not going to spoil anything. It's a very interesting documentary. I got to sit down with the director and and discuss um, what what was going on, um, and 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 overall look at how they documented Urban Meyer and Tim Tebow through this, along with the off the field uh, situations. I will give you a, a small little hint towards what's coming tomorrow. I was not impressed uh, with what they put together on Netflix. I'll leave it at that. Um, and, and a lot of folks will get to watch that next Tuesday. So yeah. just check out the piece that comes tomorrow. Yeah, and this uh, this debuts yeah next Tuesday, the 22nd on, on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, I'm 
really looking forward to it. Your piece and Swamp Kings, too. I'm looking forward to it less now with that review, though. Yeah, well, no, you'll be over, hey, different people, different different people, different views. I, I just, all you right. know, there were a couple things that stood out to me. Don't get don't get all down on me, Chad. Come you, on, you're bro. telling me that Urban Meyer had creative control over this project for him to be interviewed on it. That is that what it looks like? Nope, didn't say that at okay. all. Okay, all right. Well, Chad's back in. I'll watch. I'll form my own opinion on it. Chad's back there you in. Go. Trey, thank you as always, man. Have a great rest of the week, and uh, the next man, week Trey. we'll be we'll be talking games, man. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Look forward to it. Same here. Trey Wallace. Uh, check out the Trey Wallace podcast at outkick.com and uh, the great piece there that will be uh, launching soon at outkick.com on Swamp Kings uh, from Trey Wallace. Armando Salguero will be joining us uh, a bit later in today's show. Sean Merriman in hour number three. Lights out. He's still got the lights out extreme fighting promotion he's doing, plus plenty to discuss across the NFL. We've got uh, also later, Chad, NFL injury updates from camps a lot of joint practices going on and uh, when we come back there are plenty of former athletes for Northwestern that have co-signed a a letter that could you know they condemn hazing in any form and they're backing up the culture at Northwestern and defending the athletics program we'll dive into what they said how they said it and what we took away from it. That's next on Hotline. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Chad, coming up tomorrow, uh, Kelly in Vegas is going to join us. Yeah. She took exception to your college football NFL list. She also takes exception to the fact that I thought she was Megan making money. That's probably where this all stems from. But yeah, she didn't like my list because she, as a K-State grad, Saw that her Wildcats were excluded from my Super 32 list, and she's not happy. Should about I it. introduce her tomorrow as Megan making money? That'd be hilarious. I should actually do it again. Okay. Met a couple times. Megan making money joining the show. <laughs> I've always real treat to finally get her on the show. No, Kelly's great. Uh, she's going to bring the energy. Um, I was texting with her about it because she had an issue with Kansas State not being on there. And I said, J- feel free. Look, this is an open forum. Come on and trash my, my group of schools. And she said, just the K-State part or the whole thing? And I said, whatever you want to trash, you can trash on this show. I'm not going to take exception to it. So we'll see what all she wants to go after tomorrow. She's going to take a a, a flamethrower to me on tomorrow's show. That's what's going to happen. It's going to be fun. Uh, Coming up, Armando Salguero in about 40 minutes, plus Sean Merriman later in today's program. More than 1,000 former Northwestern athletes. They have sent uh, an open letter to the university and out to, to anyone that'll read it, um, condemning hazing in any form, but also defending the athletics culture, saying it's not represented or defined by the allegations of hazing and the lawsuits that have then surfaced and have been filed, what, up to or more now than a dozen against the university. Quote uh, here from the letter, The allegations made are troubling, and we support the university's efforts to fully investigate these claims. 
However, these allegations do not represent or define the overall culture at Northwestern. Goes on to say, we strongly affirm the positive experiences we had at Northwestern, and if offered, would do it all over again. The opportunity to compete at this level in both the classroom and in our respective sports is unique and deeply valued. These experiences were the building blocks for each of our lives after graduation. This is the Northwestern we proudly came to know and appreciate and for which we are immensely grateful. And Chad, this, I mean, what this says is stating the obvious. This is also, uh, it, it echoes our, our football guest who was in the locker room and came forward with his own experience of hazing. Uh, the former offensive lineman from 2005 or six, I believe, is when he yeah. uh, and, and defined the culture then to now and how it, it matched up. But he also said he loved his time at Northwestern and considers himself a, a life, lifelong wildcat. You know, that, yeah. and, and this also echoes that. And I think it's also, and I would be the same way, if you're passionate about your university and you're seeing these headlines and you didn't witness anything, or uh, you're, you did witness something that was wrong, but everything else about your experience was exactly how you wanted it to be and you would do it all over again, that's your university. That is, you know, that that is your team. That is your athletic program. And what's represented in the headlines right now don't reflect the positive experience they took away from their time there. I have no doubt that most Northwestern student athletes had a positive experience, and they chose the school for a reason. And they got there, and they were happy. They went, and they liked their time at Northwestern. Even with the offensive lineman story that we had, who who, who said he was being discriminated against because he's Latino. Uh, we had a Latino kicker that messaged me that said, I had the opposite experience. It was great. I experienced no hazing, no issues on the staff whatsoever. He said, I'm not discounting what his teammates said. Right. I'm just telling you my experience. This is the exact same thing with a bunch of student athletes. All they're saying is, hey, we take this stuff seriously. You know, what's going on at our school is not great. But here's the other side of it. It's not 100%. Nothing in life is really 100%. You're going to have people who think something was good and something was bad, especially now. So this, this is the other side saying, yeah, we weren't hazed. There wasn't some damaging culture within Northwestern athletics. In fact, it was the building blocks for everything we've done in life since was attending that school and participating in athletics at the Big Ten level. So none of this surprises me. Now, look, it gets a big national headline for the day. What does it actually do? I guess it's submitted into evidence in their internal investigation and filed away. It's about it. I don't think it really yeah. does anything else. Well, it probably it, makes the people who signed it feel better. Well, let's read into it a bit, though. It was 270-plus former football players, a uh, handful of managers in that as well, and then over 1,000 athletes across the board. Um, the, other, the other group here that are, are defending the program – are the assistant coaches that are currently coaching Northwestern football and the interim David Braun, who supports their freedom of speech to wear the shirts that have well, 51. They're, and and they're not just supporting Northwestern. They're supporting their, their former coach who got fired. Their former coach who got Guess fired. Guess who has a problem with that? But got fired after university president Michael Schill cited a, a partially broken football team culture or team culture yeah. you know, that specifically stated that. And here's the letter saying, no, in fact, we, we don't feel it's, it's broken at all. I, I think again, it's a view on 
how things have been portrayed PR-wise, too. I don't think so, but have they worn those shirts since Derek Gregg had the statement about them not needing to wear the shirts? I don't no, think they I, have. No, but they don't have to now, you know? I guess. Um, they Pat did Fitzgerald, it. speaking about the, of the coach that we talked about, we know what he's going to be doing now. He will be coaching his two sons on the Loyola Academy high school football team this fall. This according to the North Shore record, the local publication there. He has passed all of the different uh, credentials he had to get to be a volunteer assistant high school coach, and he'll be assisting his two children that go to Loyal Academy, play for the Ramblers football program. He will be assisting them this fall. I think that's great. Yeah. I mean, you, and it's you're also, not coaching. You have a chance to coach your kids in a, in a season where you would never have the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's got a nice setup and nice home uh, in that neighborhood of Chicago. Doesn't want to leave. Doesn't know what his next move is yet. So, uh, yeah, it, really cool that he gets to coach his son. Reminds me of the Sean Payton you know, yeah. story where he went and coached his son's uh, Pop Warner youth team for a year when he was serving a suspension. Similar story for Pat Fitzgerald. Chad, uh, Bo Nix has a mural in New York to begin the Heisman Trophy campaign. If you start looking at, uh, and now at Oregon, former Auburn quarterback, he did well last year. He did great. And as you begin to look at the odds for the Heisman Trophy as we kick off the season next week, Caleb Williams is by far the favorite, followed by Jaden Daniels, uh, Quinn Ewers, Michael Penix Jr., Cade Klubnick, You've got J.J. McCarthy, Jordan Travis, Sam Hartman, and then Bo Nix is listed. So the campaign is on. And look, it, this can go deep. Uh, Drake May is there, Carson Beck. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. could have a breakout and should have a massive season because he's playing with his high school quarterback as well now. There could be plenty of discussion and debate over that group by the time we get to December, first Saturday in December. I think if you want to take a long shot, in those, I would take either Jalen Milrow or Ty Simpson, just simply because the Alabama quarterback, if they win the job and they start all year, will put up huge numbers and could be in the national conversation. Uh, the other one in there is J.J. McCarthy, is someone who has some value mm -hmm. at where his odds are and what Michigan could be this year. Bo Nix was terrific last year. He was in the Heisman discussion for a lot of the season. So this has become kind of standard practice for schools to pay for the Times Square, the New York City mural, or the big digital video board of their guys. They start a Heisman campaign. So cool to see Bo Nix getting this opportunity. Bo Nix, by the way, who, if you're an Auburn fan, it's kind of hurt only because this guy was the, the son of a great you know Auburn quarterback. It was like his homecoming when he got there. He started as a true freshman, looked really good when he came out of the gates. Then it crumbled. Uh, under under the previous coach, and now he's found second life at Oregon. Good for him. And now he's starting a Heisman campaign, but not for the school that Auburn Tigers fans hoped he'd be possibly winning a Heisman for. Yeah, and uh, just for uh, – get your take on this. Dark Horse candidate Joe Milton at plus 2,500. That's a good one. Um, yeah, because the odds, I, I would say that that's a really good one. I, I think we're going to find out this year with Joe Milton – if you can just go ahead and pencil in the Tennessee starting quarterback as someone with odds for a Heisman Trophy. Like, this is, this is uh, the floor year for Tennessee. I think this is the year that defines Josh Heupel's offensive floor because he's going from a guy who was perfect 
that really he didn't, you know, he didn't know right away. He didn't start Hendon Hooker right away. He kind of lucked into Hendon Hooker with the Joe Milton injury. Turns out he's the perfect guy to run Josh Heifel's system. Now if he can go back to the guy who wasn't working out as well and he looks a lot better and he's putting up Hendon Hooker-esque numbers and especially with the lack of interceptions, which Josh Heifel says Joe Milton has yet to throw one interception throughout scrimmages or throughout practice so far. Um, did not throw an interception in his short time as a starter a year ago. It, if that happens, or when he played a year ago, I mean, I, I think you could probably look at a hypo quarterback and say, okay, whatever the odds are, I might go ahead and lay a little money down on this guy because he's going to put up video game numbers. And let's just spitball here for a second. Quinn Ewers with the third best odds. If Quinn Ewers is in New York as a finalist, where does that put Texas win-wise? I'd say 11. I mean, that's a... 10 or 11. They're starting I, out 11th in the AP. Yeah. So I mean, I, I'd say uh, it, it, probably 11 wins. I also think Quinn Ewers are the third highest odds. Th- this is not where he should be legitimately. This is the Texas hype train getting him that spot. And Vegas does it by where they think the money's going to go. Right. So they know people are laying money on him because of the interest in Texas. And I, I think this is more Texas being a bit overhyped than anything else. I, I don't buy it. And Drake, Drake May is pretty far down the, down the list after getting a I lot get of push. Either. A lot of push at the end of last season to be a finalist. You know what's crazy to me is that there hasn't been a repeat winner since Archie Griffin in the early 70s. With the guys we've seen win it early, Tim Tebow, Johnny Manziel, and Caleb Williams, I mean, it's – I, I, I try to think about the psychology around that, why that hasn't happened. It's probably as much of when you win the Heisman as an underclassman, you set the bar so high – that you don't, you can't just go over it a little bit. You have to crush that mark to even have a chance, because people are naturally the psychology of it is you're looking for the next one, and the next thing. So you have to be undeniably almost. It's not going to happen unanimous, but almost unanimous. Yeah. Like this guy, those like, numbers we're not going to see again. Like the Manziel year, he was twice as good as he was in his Heisman year. We have to give him the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, and if it's anywhere around it, or even a little bit more, or better than the year before. Statistically, there's one more loss. If there's one other thing, there's always going to be a reason that you don't vote in the second Heisman Trophy winner. I just found that interesting. It's been so long since that's happened because I know he's the favorite right now, but I mean, with Lincoln Riley calling plays and his receivers. Oh, and his history of having Heisman winners. Again, he's he's done it, but I'm saying. I feel pretty good about it. and, And with him. I mean, the next tier for them is the college football playoff. So. Yeah. That that puts them on the run. The other thing, and Chad, now the standard is his team's wins, not yes, just his, yes. not just his accomplishments. And, and one more, JJ McCarthy. You're right to mention this, JJ McCarthy. Based on the schedule, when they meet against Ohio State, that could be one that just puts him in New York or not, because we went through and detailed the Michigan yeah. schedule, and you have you don't have many games where you're like, man, they they may slip up here. Maybe they do, but. He's, he is in a position to make the run for it at plus 1,600. Yeah, they've got Penn State, I think, in like early November maybe. And then, I mean, it's that Ohio State game is going to be the marker for, for both teams, especially Ohio State having lost back-to-back. Yeah, and then Marvin Harrison Jr. putting on a show. Uh, Chad, Bob Huggins has entered a diversion program. 
and court ordered, I believe. Yeah, right? and I also think this is what the he felt like the offer was going to be whenever he initially talked to the university, like, "Hey, I'm going to do this and come back or whatever." Um, but he's attempting to get his life straightened out after the DUI arrest, and I hope everything goes well with this, based on the, you know, the the legal side of the situation. That's what he's working out now, and he certainly has another situation where he's battling West Virginia trying to get his job back but this is an effort to do I think uh, not just the right thing for him but also whatever he felt like was agreed upon before they got rid of him yeah I wonder if he emerges somewhere else my guess is no at his age but crazier things have happened the tide has turned on the Michael Orr storyline that's next on Hot Mike.